a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. As we start looking at how we move past the economic recovery, uh, of course, policymakers are, are looking at all the questions, all the things. Uh, how do we make sure we keep inflation from going even more crazy and having a, a bigger impact? And what are the levers that we that we use to to move that along? And part of that, of course, is the tax code. And uh, what we do with the tax code, of course, uh, the easy thing is, oh, you know, everyone pay their fair share or tax the rich or tax the big business or don't tax anybody else. Uh, all of those things uh, are interesting in, in terms of what actually leverages uh, it. And we're going to dive into that in just a, a little bit here. And uh, actually, we actually got uh, we got him on the line. Daniel Bunn is the vice president of global projects at the Tax Foundation. Uh, his research focuses on international tax issues and tax policy in Europe. Uh, very timely for that. Uh, Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Boyd. It's great to be on. So everyone loves to to say, "Hey, we got to you know, let's talk about taxes." And usually, that's a, a real simple, you know, tax everybody but me, <laughs> and and raise it, and that'll be a good thing. Uh, I know the Tax Foundation has looked at this a little bit differently in terms of uh, how do you actually use the tax code in a way that can promote growth, can promote opportunity. Uh, so tell us some of the things that you're finding first in terms of you know where we are from tax policy, and then what kind of reforms should we really be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Boyd. This is something that I think a lot of people think about taxes and they just think, you know, well, it's that one time of the year and the headaches and things like that. We try to think about the economic impact of tax policy. So things that uh, we all as you know, Americans kind of want to see a dynamic, growing economy, um, a prosperous place to start a business, uh, to raise families. And the way we look at taxes, we we say, well, hey, there's a lot of things in the tax code that can get in the way of business investment, that can get in the way of the decisions for individual families. Uh, And we want to make sure that the tax system is best geared to support good conditions for investment, better jobs, helping boost real incomes. We we have a new report out uh, titled, 10 tax reforms for growth and opportunity. I won't go through all 10, but we're basically trying to fit this framework of growth, investment, dynamism, competitiveness into specific reforms that policymakers may want to adopt if they're also interested in those things. And I know you, Boyd, you you want these policymakers to be interested in these things as well. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
and I, and I want them everywhere interested in, in these conversations. And uh, so before we get into some of the specific reforms and some of the things that uh, that you all are talking about in this report, uh, help us just from the, the high level. Uh, are these really things that we just have to do at the federal level uh, or is this a state level thing where it has to be done? Uh, what are what are some of your findings there? Yeah, so there are a lot of things in the federal tax code. Um, You know, we had a tax reform in 2017 that really moved the needle in the direction of a pro-growth tax code. Um, But there were a lot of unfinished um, items in that that we're identifying and saying, hey, these are things that are going to impede things like research and development um, or that create distortions for workers and when you're hiring. Um, And then at the state level, one of the interesting things we've been seeing uh, over the last couple of years is states have a lot of um, resources to be cutting taxes and reforming their tax codes um, in a way that reduces taxes on labor, reduces taxes on business, while also maintaining the balanced budgets that these states are required to maintain. Uh, And that's kind of an exciting thing to be able to say, hey, you know, at the federal level, there's still work to be done. And then look at the states and what they're doing uh, to ensure that um, they're supporting kind of a dynamic economy at the local level. Yeah. So give us some of those as policymakers look at these changes or tweaks to the cat, uh, the tax code. Uh, of course, everybody's worried about inflation right now. What are what are some of those areas where the tax code could have an impact on containing inflation? But again, I really want to focus on your main point in terms of promoting the, the growth and the opportunity in the economy. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things on the inflation side is just to look back over the course of the last year or so um, with some of the policies that essentially dumped money into the economy, uh, probably above and beyond what was necessary to uh, support the economy through the pandemic. Uh, And the pandemic, of course, created all sorts of distortions in the economy, And right now, both with the coming out of the pandemic and then this war that's happening in Europe, there's all sorts of chaos in the economy right now. Uh, And some of our proposals are taking a look at this inflation issue um, and thinking long term about how the tax code can um, be better suited for an economy. You know, not that we want inflation to be there for a long time, but even when there is inflation, Um, So the individual tax brackets, the tax brackets that, you know, you and I have to face when we're paying um, taxes on our personal income, those are indexed to inflation. They'll adjust every year with inflation, but not everything in the tax code is like that. And specifically things connected to business investment. If you buy a machinery and it's, you know, $10,000 this year, over the course of time, you're going to have to deduct the cost of that and inflation is going to erode your deductions for that. So really, you're only going to get to deduct maybe 75% of that machine, um, depending on, you know, how long the lifespan of that machine is. So we need to make sure that these other parts of the tax code are also geared towards adjusting along with inflation. And then at the same time, hoping that we get through this pandemic economy, we get through this kind of wartime crisis, and be able to be in a more stable place where maybe we don't have to worry about inflation as much. Yeah, such such an important conversation to be having there. And, of course, we've been uh, focusing a lot today on the uh, almost $2 trillion uh, spending packages that are the package that's uh, moving swiftly through the House, uh, 2,741 pages that nobody's read. 
there are, are they're estimating over five thousand earmarks are, are in there. Uh, how does government spending uh, tie in with taxes, and how does that either prevent and hold back uh, economic growth and opportunity, or help propel it forward? One of the things that uh, government really needs to be better at is having a good sense of both sides of the equation. That if you're just focused on the spending side and, okay, we're going to do this um, in a kind of the haphazard way that Congress does, uh, and uh, we're going to get these things passed and, you know, be able to have the votes and, you know, however many trillions, without realizing that, you know, the other side of the equation, how the money is raised, um, it's not efficient either, then you're going to have this kind of mess on, on both ends and you're going to distort economic activity with the way you raise revenue and you're going to distort business decisions and, um, you know, the purchasing that the government does um, through the way that you spend that revenue that you've raised. So I think one of the problems, and, you know, this has been kind of decades in the making, is a comprehensive approach to both the spending and revenue side mm of the federal budget um, to make sure that the government's doing what it needs to be doing on the spending side. And then when it raises revenue, it's doing it in a way that doesn't, you know, um, punish small businesses, that doesn't punish innovation, that doesn't um, punish, you know, the the families that are just looking um, to succeed. Uh, I think specifically um, when you look at the, you know, the size of the budget, of course, you know, this bill that's going through Congress right now seems like a lot. Um, but that's just a small fraction of what right. federal government spends each year, right? right? There's all sorts of the Social Security, Medicare, and all of those things. And it's important to have a full full picture. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel Bunn from the Tax Foundation. Great insight as always. So much to think about when it comes to tax policy. Appreciate your perspective today. We're going to step Thank aside you, for uh, bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll look at uh, regulating big tech. There's actually some unification agreement. Shoshana Weissman will break it down for us coming up next. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.